The Holy Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, and if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Christ. About 10 years ago, I was making my way back to St. Louis from Sewanee, which is the little town, including the University of the South. You probably know that's a, a university of the Episcopal Church. Missouri is one of the owning dioceses, and that means the Bishop of Missouri is a trustee. It's an honor that I hold with 180 of my closest friends. It is the largest board of trustees I have ever encountered. So I have occasion to go to and from Sewanee various times. I'd been there in 2010 was making my way back home and part of that trudge means a journey through the, the western part of Kentucky and I stopped for gas somewhere along the way and there was uh, a country shop there and hanging in that shop were home smoked hams just hanging there. And I said to myself, I must have one of those hams. Because I grew up with home-cured hams, uh, never a store-bought ham to be had in my childhood. And I don't know what it's like for you, but for me, the food of childhood is a conveyor of comfort. And I was, I was ready for some of that goodness to come to me. I should have resisted it because that ham was nearly the death of me. I should have remembered how much salt, salt and more salt, a country cured ham has. 
I will tell you that my body reminded me how much salt is in it. And it tasted wonderful. Anything with that much salt is going to be very tasty. But every joint in my body swelled up. My ankles especially, my fingers especially. I thought, I think this is, this is going to be how I die. Hypertension, I knew that there was hypertension underneath all this, and soon enough I found out that was the case. My childhood body apparently could handle all that salt. My middle-aged body was having a hard go of it. My grandparents on both sides in their generation around the turn of the 20th century, had no such thing as refrigeration. Electricity did not come to that part of rural Texas until the middle, middle decades of the 20th century. So salting the meat for them was not really a culinary choice. It was how they preserved the meat. They would slaughter the livestock on a cold day in December, and they would have a feast on fresh meat that day, and they would salt away the rest whether it was pork or beef, they would salt away the rest. In the centuries-old manner, a wooden barrel filled in the bottom with a layer of salt, then a layer of meat, then a layer of salt, and a layer of meat until the barrel was full. And the political term pork barrel actually has its root meaning in that practice. Pork hams and pork shoulders were first salted and then salted some more. And then an extra round of salting just to make sure that every bit of the meat was penetrated with it. And then they were hung up in the smokehouse. Both my grandparents had a smokehouse. And a low burning fire would be kept going for days, for weeks. And it would give the ham the flavor, yes, but more importantly, the so slow heat would dry out the meat so that it would be adequately preserved. Again, this was not a choice based on cookery or flavor. It was a choice based on necessity. And I will tell you it is no wonder that many in that generation died from coronary disease with all that salt 
It is no wonder at all. Now I say this simply to point out that there was a time not that long ago, just a generation and a half in my instance, when Jesus' words in the gospel would not require much explanation at all. Everybody knew. Certainly my parents knew from firsthand experience that salt was both a preservative and a source of flavor. Which is Jesus' point in the gospel today. In Jesus' time, salt was so crucial that it was part of a Roman soldier's pay. And they knew that it was part of the Roman soldier's pay because the soldiers were everywhere. That part of Judea and Galilee were occupied territory, occupied by empire. And the soldiers were everywhere, and they were paid partly in salt. Salt was a necessity. It was common, and it was taken for granted. And Jesus says to those within his hearing, and remember this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount, this bit comes right after the Beatitudes. So Jesus is just getting started in a longish sermon that occupies chapters 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew's Gospel. We're just getting started. But one of the first things that he has to say to the people gathered within his hearing is that you are salt for the world. They didn't have to do a lot of translating to understand that. They knew that he meant that you are both preservative and flavor. You keep the world alive and you make it interesting. You give it that flavor. The fishers around the Sea of Galilee were so familiar with this because most of the fish which they caught were dry salted into something delicious and fishy tasting and crispy. It was treasured through that stretch of the Mediterranean world, from Damascus to Jerusalem and farther south. It was the best treat, if you will, to be had. They could not catch enough of this stuff. And there were curing factories all around the shores of Galilee. And we know that not only from the textual evidence, but from archaeological evidence in the towns around in places like Tiberias and, and Magdala. 
The truth is that fishers made a good living from it because their product was so cherished. It could not be made without salt. You are salt for the world. And then he tells them that you are light for the world. Not to be obscured. Don't block off this light that is yours to have and to shine forth. Don't put a shade over it. Don't put a bushel basket over it. But let it shine. You are salt and you are light. What he's telling his disciples is that their willingness to follow him matters a great deal. Notice he does not say to them, you are salt unto yourself. You are light for your own good. No. He says you are salt for the world. For the world. You are light for the world. It matters not just to us, which is the American tendency, you know, that we want to keep religion privatized and to make sure that it has that interior quality. And, you know, if you let this stuff shine forth too much, well, it might offend somebody. Jesus says you are light not just unto yourself, but for the world. What Jesus gives to us is too important to hide away, too important just to keep to ourselves. It's something that matters to you. Oh, I hope it does matter to you. But Jesus says it matters to the world. Imagine what it would be like if we Christians were to take him at his word. Amen.